Welcome to Caregiving Club On Air. This podcast is dedicated to the millions of family caregivers who want wellness tips and self-care solutions, who seek expert advice, and who want news about healthy aging and how to create well home design in our forever homes. I'm Sherry Snelling, a corporate gerontologist, author, and educator, a TV interviewer, host, and news commentator. I'm joining you from Southern California, where our interviews and news take us all across the country to explore the many ways to help you on your caregiving journey and to lift you up here at Caregiving Club On Air. Welcome to Caregiving Club On Air. I'm your host, Sherry Snelling. And for this February episode, we are going to be celebrating National Caregivers Day, which is February 16th, just two days after Valentine's Day. And we love our family caregivers. So we're going to talk a little bit about how to thank a caregiver in your life. We're also going to talk a little bit about home care. You know, what, what is the difference between home care and home health? And give you an overview on that. And then we have a great interview with Daphne Vick, who is the founder and CEO of CareFluent, a really interesting, innovative model for home care. So we're going to learn a lot more from Daphne. And then, of course, we know February is also Heart Health Month. So I'm going to share with you some insights and tips on how to be more heart healthy from my new book, Me Time Monday. We're also going to talk about well home design and Here's the latest trend in home interior design. It's called the Snug. Now wait for it, because four years ago, we launched the Snug Home blog, so we feel like we're ahead of the trend, but we're going to talk a little bit about what is the Snug, how do you find it, how do you create these kind of comforting sanctuary places in your home. And then, of course, as always, we end our episode with our Me Time Monday Wellness Hack. This one is going to be on heart-focused breathing. It's a really interesting technique, and it helps not just to calm your stress response, but also helps with heart health. So stay tuned for that at the end of the episode. Now with that, let's dive into our caregiver wellness news. wellness news, we want to start with a big celebration in February that's really kind of come into its own the last few years, and that is National Caregivers Day, which is typically celebrated on the third Friday of the month. And this year, of course, it's going to be February 16th. It's a wonderful time to thank a caregiver in your life. Now, the caregiver is defined as either a professional caregiver, maybe somebody you're having come into the home, who's helping to take care of your loved one, or it also means family caregivers. That means us, those of us who are out there caring for our loved ones on a day-to-day basis. And, you know, we don't get thanked a lot. We get overlooked a lot and certainly underpaid, which means no pay. So it's a really great time to just acknowledge, I think, the heroic work and wonderful, loving companionship and caring that so many of us give to our loved ones. So think about just sending a little text thank you Maybe bringing some flowers or or doing something nice for the caregiver in your life, but just just even the thank you, the acknowledgement, and the awareness that hey, I understand what you're doing to take care of your loved one, whether you're a friend or a spouse or partner or adult child or a worker or whatever. We really need to lift up and support our caregivers, both the professional direct care workers as well as our family caregivers. So that's our little shout out for National Caregivers Day. Now, let me dive into some information you may or may not be aware of. A lot of this is from my new book, which is Me Time Monday, the weekly wellness plan to find balance and joy for a busy life which you can find on our website, caregivingclub.com, and also on Amazon and Barnes & Noble and bookshop.org, I think it's called. So a lot of other places. But, you know, there's we need to have more recognition for family caregivers. And the way I talk about it in the book, I call it caregiving redefined. And if you really think about the life course that we're all on, okay, we start our lives being cared for. 
typically by our parents. And then as we start to grow into adulthood, we start to form friendships and caring relationships. And eventually we might find a spouse or partner that now we have that special relationship with that partnership. We may decide to have children. So now that's another way that we're caring in our lives. I would throw pets in there too, because I just saw a TV commercial that said the caregivers of pets, they actually use the word caregiver. And I went, well, there you go. But And then of course, as we get older and maybe we're in the sandwich generation, we've got kids and older parents at the same time that we're caring for. Maybe we're caring for older grandparents or, you know, an aunt or a cousin or a sibling or even just a friend. And then at the end of our lives, guess what? We are cared for again. So this is kind of a, a circle or a through line, if you will, where caregiving really becomes constant in our lives. And I think if we can reframe that thinking, you know, it's all dependent upon the choices that we make in life, but care really is a constant if you think about it. And so maybe that will help us be more prepared for the end of life, the later life caregiving that we often don't plan for, don't know enough about, don't worry about it until a crisis or, you know, a disaster or a, you know, unfortunate diagnosis happens with older loved ones. I think if we can wrap our heads around throughout life, we're going to be caring for people in our lives and then helping ourselves be more educated about what's out there for, for more of the senior care, the old, older adult care will help us all in terms of just being more prepared and maybe lowering some of those stress levels that we know many of, of us face when we become family caregivers. Now, just some quick statistics that you may not know about. There are 53 million Americans who are family caregivers. So you are the largest volunteer healthcare army in the country. That's right. You're a volunteer, unpaid, overlooked volunteer army. And without you, the healthcare system collapses. So again, I want to say I'm grateful and thankful to all the family caregivers out there who step up to take care of our loved ones, because without you, I'm just not sure where we'd be, right? In terms of our healthcare system and our long-term care system. So thank you. The other thing I thought was really interesting in my book is when I did the research, I did not know my great-grandparents. I think my my great-grandmother on my paternal side was still alive when I was born, but I didn't know her, you know, as a baby, I didn't really know her, but you know, I didn't, so I didn't know my great-grandparents. The research that I found, and there was a family in Scotland, six generations alive at the same, at same time, but seven generations living at the same time is now very plausible. And a lot of this has to do with, again, those longevity bonus years we get, 20, 30 extra years. You're going to have a lot more generations living at the same time. And what does that mean? Caregiving, again, of older adults is going to become really much more I think, omnipresent in our lives. And in fact, there's a statistic that in 2032, for the first time in U.S. history, we are going to experience the fact that we will have more people over 65 in the country than people under the age of 18. And what does that mean? Well, that means more parent care, grandparent care, maybe great-great-grandparent care, rather than caring for children. And, you know, again, longevity has a big role in that. Also, just the fertility rates are lower in the U.S. now, so we don't see as many children being born into families like it was back in the 1700s and the 1800s. So these are these are interesting statistics, I think, because it makes you stop and pause for a minute and think about your own family and think about, okay, what, you know, what am I seeing? What, what maybe do I need to be prepared for? Or think a little bit more about or have a conversation, you know, with, with my parents or, or whomever. And so, you know, the other thing that we know, the focus of really today's discussion, particularly with our, our great expert guest, Daphne Vick, is home care. We know that the majority of older adults express the feeling that, yeah, I want to stay in my home as long as possible. I want to stay independent. I want to stay safe, but I want to stay here. <laughs> I don't want to go, you know, I don't want to have to move. But I, you know, there's different thoughts on this because some of the senior living communities are so beautiful. It's like going to resort. In fact, I just did a talk a couple months ago for my book at one here locally in Southern California, Newport Beach, and I wanted to move in. It was so beautiful and gorgeous, obviously very pricey. Uh, so that's another 
conversation for another episode, but most people still want to stay in their homes. And there's a lot that needs to be thought through in order to make that happen, not the least of which is the home modification side for more safety and accessibility and actually creating more of a healing environment at home. But there's also probably going to be the need to have extra help, particularly for those caregivers who are working. We know seven in 10 family caregivers are juggling work. And again, as I said, Sandwich Generation also have kids they're caring for, and now they have older parents. So we we need some help, and it might be little help or it might be a little bit more. So I want to just give you a quick 101 on home care. Because a lot of people have asked me this question. I know it comes up a lot. Again, we don't know as much about taking care of older parents. So let me read to you some information that will give you a little bit of insight as to all the different types of care that you might be bringing into the home. So we often don't really know the difference between home health care or home health aid versus home care. Okay, so let me tell you what the difference is. Home health. So home health care, home health aid. If it's got the word health in there, this means it's typically prescribed by a doctor. It usually happens after either a diagnosis, but more particularly after a hospital stay, maybe after a surgery, you know, or or something's happened where you're maybe going to need a little bit of rehabilitation at home. Uh, Maybe your loved ones had a stroke and they might need some speech therapy, but you know, you, and you have to meet the criteria for this, but the family and the doctor believe it's best to have these services delivered in the home. And so, of course, there are a lot more home health agencies out there now. Now, Medicare will possibly cover some of those costs because, again, it's the same as if you were being um, discharged into a rehabilitation facility. It's just that the rehab will be at home. Excuse me. So they may cover some of those costs, but again, you have to meet the criteria and there's a lot of nuances to that. So you're going to want to talk, you know, obviously with your loved ones, doctors or with Medicare to understand those nuances, but it means that you need intermittent care. So maybe the speech therapist or the physical therapist is going to come in only, you know, two or three times a week. Now, what's the difference with home care? Well, home care is not medic necessarily medically connected. Okay. Just be that your loved one has arthritis or COPD or Alzheimer's and dementia in the earliest stages, whatever it is that makes it more difficult for them to perform the activities of daily living and independent activities of daily living is what you know we call them in the gerontology world. It's ADLs and IADLs. And those are things like, you know, can you get dressed by yourself? Can you feed yourself? Can you bathe yourself? Can you prepare a meal? Are you able to maintain light housework? And if the answer is no, then you can get home care to come into the home and perform some of those services. And and even just companionship, right? We've talked about loneliness and I'm going to talk about it in a minute in terms of heart uh, health. But, you know, just to be a companion, to be there with your loved one if they're homebound, or for whatever reason, they're staying in the home, but they need, you know, they need that interaction, that social, social interaction that you can't deliver because you're at work or doing other things. So, so this becomes a really vital piece, I think, of our long-term care, what we need to plan for as families. And then of course, there's different home care options. The traditional agencies like a home instead, which was regionally purchased by a company called Honor. I won't get into the nuances of that, but it just, you know, made them the largest home care agency out there with a lot of technology built now behind it. There's also things you probably heard of Visiting Angels. There's also Right at Home. And by the way, I'm going to do a little shout out to Right at Home. They have a TV commercial that I've seen running and I love it. It has an older mom and then her adult daughter, and they're talking about bringing in you know, right at at home, direct care worker. They're talking about it in the sense of the mom, the the older adult, the older mom says, you know, come to the point in my life where I deserve personal chef. And then it shows the right at home person preparing meal. Deserve a stylist. And it shows them, you know, helping with preparing her hair. But I love that sense of 
it's not that I'm frail and vulnerable and gosh, now I need, you know, a professional to come in and do all these things I was able to do. It's more of, hey, I've, I've had a certain point in life where, yeah, I need a driver, I need a stylist and, you know, hair and makeup person, <laughs> a nutritionist and personal chef, why not? And it just puts, I think, a more joyful, maybe a more hopeful, more positive spin on what home care can be. I think it's a great way for us to start talking about this. But anyway, so shout out to Right at Home for doing those great commercials. There's also online marketplaces where you can go. And this is where you do more of a match.com. You actually, so instead of calling up the agency and saying, hey, can you send someone out? And unfortunately, with some of those agencies I just referenced, like Visiting Angels and others, you may not get the same person every time because it's just kind of whoever's available. So that makes it really difficult for families because you do want some consistency with maybe the person coming into the home. Now, on the on the marketplaces, you actually... Put in your criteria of what you're looking for. And maybe it is that, you know, your mom's more comfortable speaking Spanish. So you want a Spanish speaker to come into the home or they like to have their meals prepared in more of an authentic, you know, Mexican cuisine way or whatever it is. Those kinds of things become really important, right? So you put in all your criteria. And then what this does is it gives you a list of the people who match your criteria. You can then do a video chat with them, decide who you like, and then you you barter with them. You negotiate with them on the price and all of that. And then what the, what the agency does is they do all the background checks. They do the insurance. They do all the paperwork of invoicing for the cost of the care, whatever. But you're more directly in charge and in control of choosing the person you want and making sure that it's a, a good match. So those types of agencies are like CareLinks is a is a great agency, uh, care.com, which I, I do some work in their business enterprise division for employers, but they do the same thing with the matchups and those are great. And then there's the care concierge services. Now, these are you can do either an out-of-pocket fee-for-service, or you can sometimes get it through your employer, but these are places where you call, you're not even sure what you need, you talk to an expert, you explain what's going on, they say, okay, let us maybe put a plan together, and then we can find someone and we'll send them out, or maybe it's more your mom or dad just needs some transportation services, let's coordinate that for you. So this is a real, like, help, let's help you navigate, and it includes financial things like, Let's help you navigate those veterans benefits and get the most out of them. And so these caregiving concierges and the, the one I love the most is wealthy. They do a fantastic job. And again, they actually interesting do it for care all the way through elder care or senior care, adult, uh, elder adult care. So those are, that's another type of service. And then of course, you know, there's hospice care. That's more end of life care that you can have brought into the home. It is prescribed by a doctor. So your doctor would have to prescribe that, you know, for your loved one, but you can't get that in the home. And then we also, there's a lot of questions around, can I get paid as a caregiver to care for my mom? And the answer is yes, but there's a lot of hoops you have to jump through. It's state by state because it's usually overseen by Medicaid, which is a federal program that's actually administered by the individual states. So the rules and waivers and things you may have to get will vary. Um, but there are some ways that you might be able to get paid for a kicker. Just keep in mind, it just can't be you and your loved one saying, Hey, honey, here you go. I'm going to give you a thousand dollars for taking care of me this week. It has to have paperwork behind it. There's a lot of tax implications and you have to also be you have to charge your loved one the same as if you were bringing someone into the home, which is going to be at a certain hourly rate that will be dictated by that particular program in that particular state. So it's a lot more, but you can do it. And there's a great website, by the way, called, let me find it here in my notes. It's called Givers. And it's joingivers.com. We're going to have a link uh, to all of these places that I've been mentioning, all these agencies, but uh, joingivers.com. They will actually help you navigate getting paid as a family caregiver for your loved one. They'll figure out the nuances in the state and help guide you on some of those things. So that's a really great resource to keep in mind. And then, of course, there's also the area agencies on aging, which you can find through elder care. Uh, .acl.gov. There's also an 800 number. We're going to have both of those on our episode guide page, um, but they can also help you navigate 
those waivers that you might need to get paid, you know, get paid as a family caregiver or find some of these great agencies that I've been talking about because they know what's happening in all of the different local communities. So anyway, that kind of gives you a one-on-one. We're going to talk a lot more with Daphne. What I love that Daphne's done, and by the way, I met Daphne, you'll hear this one in my intro to her, but I met her when she was a startup in this incubator program. And I was a mentor for some of these startups and they matched us together because obviously I do, you know, most of my stuff in caregiving. And we just really hit it off and I love her business model. And she's going to tell you about it. So I won't steal that thunder, but it's really innovative. And I think it's really smart. And I think it's the way that we're, we're moving now in terms of home care. So she'll, she'll tell you all about that. The other thing too, just a shout out that I wanted to tell caregivers about, and hopefully I know caregivers have no time to read, but my book was written so that each section is only about, you know, five to seven pages and you can just pick it up and maybe read a piece of that or whatever. But there's one in there that I've been getting a lot of emails back from, from our readers of the book. And they said, I love the seven days of caregiving. And just really quickly, the seven days of caregiving that I outlined were accept, adapt, act, ask, assess, abandon, and applaud. And of course, I'm not going to take you through all of that right now because this would then be a three-hour podcast, but hopefully you can pick up my book and read about those. But it's been very validating for the caregivers who have read the book, who have you know gotten back to me via email or otherwise. And, and so that makes me feel good and I know it's helping people. So I just wanted to just reference that real quickly. Now let's move in because we got a lot to share with you today. You know, February is Heart Health Month, as I said. So in my book, one of the seven elements of wellness that I break down your life into seven different elements that you want to find that balance in. And I make it easy for you. Don't worry. It's like, oh my gosh, are you kidding me? Seven different things I got to do. Very tiny baby steps and little, little, little things you can do. But the physical wellness one, there's a lot that relates to heart health. So first of all, cardiovascular health is the number one killer of women. Uh, We also know it's right up there for men. You want to know your numbers. You want to know your blood pressure and keep that under, you know, control at 120 over 80. If you can, you want to know your BMI. That's really more about your body mass index, your obesity levels. The, The magic number there is 25. Your waist size for women, and boy, let me tell you, once you go through menopause, I know how tough this is, <laughs> but 35 inches on your waist for women, 40 inches for men. Uh, when you get above that, that's where there's too much of that adipose fatty tissue that is in your belly area around your heart. It's making a lot harder to pump the blood and get the oxygen through your body. And this is leading to all kinds of trouble. Uh, so we want to be careful about that. And then of course, there's different things that we can do, you know, sleeping, don't smoke, you know, obviously be careful about drinking. Although red wine can actually help heart health if you have it in moderation. Anyway, Lots of things you do, by the way, for your heart health also help your brain health. And I talk about that with a lot of our Alzheimer's focused episodes. They're very similar. And the big one I want to do a shout out again, loneliness. We have to make sure our older loved ones aren't lonely and we have to be cognizant of that. You know, we're we're very much about, oh, okay, the physical needs of, you know, my mom or dad, are they getting this? Are they getting that? But we don't think about the social piece. And that's critical. And the reason why is because there was a great study that was done a few years ago. And what it showed is that if you're you and you too, you, your heart health, if you or your loved one are chronically lonely, it's the equivalent of smoking 15 cigarettes a day. That's what it's doing to your heart health. And also quite frankly, your brain health. That's immense. That's huge. You can't overstate the social health needs uh, we're social animals, let's face it. And when we're lonely and, and we are alone, you start to wither. I mean, it's like being kicked out of the tribe. You know, you don't survive very long being on your own. So we have to really take that into consideration with our older adults. And I think it's one of the things that sometimes we overlook because we're so worried about the medications and, you know, the physical therapy and some of the other things that are going on. So just keep that in mind. I also want to do a quick shout out from a digital health perspective. I, you know, just was back from all the CES stuff that's out there, but Cardia Mobile, which has been out for a while, it's a sensor that you can either put on your phone, you can get a little card that you put in your wallet. You can also get it on like your Apple watch or whatever, but it's a sensor based 
program that helps people who have AFib. And what it does is it takes a medical grade FDA approved EKG and it can immediately send a notification to your doctor if you set it up that way or to your family caregiver or whomever, but it immediately tells you if you are in AFib. And of course, this is to prevent strokes and you know, mostly strokes, but it can also help with heart attacks and things like that. Really great device. One of those great things in digital health that I think is is so wonderful. That's that's why I like technology. Okay. When it helps us rather than deters us from stuff. And so I also just want to quickly say that February, we all often think about Heart Health Month, but it is also National Cancer Prevention Month. Now we have a lot of cancer months where we commemorate breast cancer, ovarian cancer, prostate cancer, brain cancer, you name it. But February, interestingly, is National All Cancer Prevention Month. I I came across something I just wanted to share with you quickly. So first of all, the federal government estimates that nearly 2 million Americans were diagnosed with cancer other than the non-melanoma skin cancers during 2023. That's more than 600,000 who died from a cancer-based disease. And research shows that more than 40% of these cases And nearly half of the deaths can be attributed to preventable causes. Again, going back to the smoking, the excess body weight, the physical inactivity, being sedentary, excessive exposure to the sun, among others. So there's a link we're going to give you on the episode guide page called Cancer Prevention Quiz, just to test your knowledge on how cancer savvy, cancer educated you are. And I also wanted to mention there's a new test by Gal. Valerie, but it's G-A-L-L-E-R-I. Well, it's expensive, okay? It's $945, probably not covered by Medicare, probably not covered by your insurance, but you can check. But it's a test for a variety of cancers. And they're they're telling people, definitely over the age of 50, you can catch certain cancers earlier and make them preventable. They're recommending this to people who are younger in their 30s and 40s as well. So you may want to check it out. It sounded kind of interesting. So I wanted to share that with you. And then, of course, at the end of the episode, we're going to talk a little bit more about heart health because we're going to focus our Me Time Monday wellness hack on heart-focused breathing technique, which I think you're really going to like. But with that, let's go into this wonderful interview with Daphne Daphne Vick, who is the founder and CEO of Care Fluent, a really innovative home care agency. So I am really excited to have our guest on this episode today, Daphne Vick, who is the CEO and founder of CareFluent. And I, you know, as I mentioned earlier, I met Daphne a couple of years ago when she was in the Techstars Pivotal Ventures program. And then recently, she and I were on a conference panel together in Washington, D.C., talking about home care. So it's perfect timing. So Daphne, it's just so thrilling to have you on Caregiving Club on Air. Welcome. Thanks for having me. Happy New Year. Yes, Happy New Year. And, you know, we're also celebrating National Caregiver Day, which is that just sparks you. you, I thought of you immediately because you know, National Caregiver Day, very often we're focused more on the family caregivers, but but also we want to recognize, you know, the professional caregivers, the home care, direct care workers who help us out and become our partners in care. And you're going to be able to talk to us about both sides of that. So I'm really thrilled to have you on today. So first of all, let's just go right into it. I, I'd love to have you explain to the audience because you take a really unique and I think very innovative approach to home care. And I want you to tell our audience what CareFluent is all about. Absolutely. So CareFluent is really redefining home care by integrating cultural, social, and linguistic attributes into the services. So it's tech-enabled caregiving. And what that means is we basically understand that we have a very diverse aging population. And so the demand for diverse caregiving is also increasing. And so our approach involves leveraging innovative technologies. We're using everything from AI to proprietary algorithms, even virtual reality to inform our programs, to train caregivers, and ensure that we have a workforce that is prepared to meet the needs of this very diverse population. Well, and I think that's so wonderful because you and I have talked about this a lot. Caregiving is not a one-size-fits-all proposition. And the more comfort and, and sense of, you know, kind of inclusiveness and 
feeling comfortable with having someone come into your home that maybe speaks your language or understands the culture, some of the other sensitivities that you may not get with other agencies, I think is really important to the overall care of a loved one. And that's that's really what you focused on. Tell me a little bit. So I'm going to back up just for a moment. I missed my own key because I wanted to ask you where we're talking to you from today, which is usually my first question. So I'm going to have you answer that. And then we're going to go into a little bit more of this no one size fits all and caregiving. But where, where are you today? Today I'm <laughs> traveling. So you're talking to me from Lynchburg, Virginia, but we are actually based in Charlotte, North Carolina. Wonderful. We love. Okay, so we we are going to do a shout out to both Charlotte and, and North Carolina. So thanks for that. So my my comment was about the sensitivities of having someone you really trust and someone that you feel kind of almost like a kinship with. What have you found in your business in terms of how that benefits both the the client who would be the older adult we're caring for. So what we found is that caregiving should really be as unique as the individuals we serve. And so our tailored approach benefits not only the care recipients, but also the family caregivers who are always looking for the perfect match for their loved ones, as well as those direct care workers. It allows for a more profound understanding. And really, that connection is the most important thing, because that's what leads to improved care outcomes and also job satisfaction, because right now we are all struggling with retention of our direct care workforce. So by recognizing and respecting those diverse backgrounds, we are not only valuing our clients, but we're also fostering a more inclusive and effective caregiving environment for all of the participants. It's a triad, right? It's the care recipients, the family caregivers, as well as the direct care workforce. So we're trying to serve the needs of all of those constituents. Well, I think that's really great because, you know, very often we don't think about the direct care worker, the care professional side of things. And, you know, the more satisfied they are in their work and with their clientele, the better care is going to be delivered. We know that. Now, you touched upon new technology like artificial intelligence that you're using. I think, you know, I have a love-hate with technology, as most people know. I think what you're doing, though, is really beneficial because you're using the technology to improve the care that's delivered but I think one of the things that at least I see for the future is home care is always going to be high touch plus high tech. What are your thoughts on that? I absolutely agree. At the core of caregiving is that care element and that care is a human driven interaction, right? It has to be driven by humans. So that's why we always say tech enabled. We use the cool technologies to facilitate the matchmaking, but the actual delivery of care, you have to find the right people who have the right temperament, who are really called to do this, who really love it and enjoy it. This is at its very core, a person to person, human to human interaction. So yes, Technology, no matter how great it is, it will never replace humans in caregiving. Yeah, no offense to the people in robotics out there, but I'm not sure I want to, you know, have my hand held or get a hug from a from a metal robot. So we'll we'll see how that changes over time. But so, you know, we're a lot of our family caregivers have experienced some difficulty in bringing home care professional into the home. Very often our loved ones feel like, well, I don't really need to be watched over. I don't need help or I don't want strangers in my home. What are what are some of the things you would tell caregivers out there about how you can get your loved one to embrace the, the need for home care and having these wonderful companions and, and, and direct care workers come into the home? Listen, I have lived this personally. I've shared my personal story with you, Sherry. You know, my father had Lewy body dementia. We are a multicultural Caribbean family, multilingual. And it literally took almost four months to convince my mom to allow us to bring a caregiver into the home because she had a lot of anxiety about, will our cultural needs be respected? Is this someone with whom I can relate? Can I trust this stranger who's coming into my home, not just in my home environment, but also taking care of, you know, my dad, her husband. So there are many worries that go into that. And then I think family caregivers also struggle with, well, if I hire a direct care worker, you know, what does that mean about my role? I want to be able to work synergistically with this person and have a good relationship. So a lot of what we recommend really focuses on looking for providers who prioritize cultural competence. 
having someone who understands where you're coming from in those needs and those worries. That is key to developing a relationship. And then secondarily, and and a very close second, is working with someone who prioritizes your personalized care plans, right? Not someone who's coming in into your home and is going to say, no, you need to do X, Y, Z. This has to be collaborative. That element of personalization really has to be present, right? So it has to be a very sort of collaborative relationship. And then ensuring that those professional caregivers are trained appropriately, That is really, really important. Focusing on both the technical skills associated with caregiving, as well as the cultural awareness piece. And last but not least, I'll say it's important to also assess their commitment to the well-being of both the caregivers as well as the family, the, the care recipients, as well as the family caregiver, right? You don't want someone who comes in and is so focused on pleasing the family caregiver that they forget that they're there to care for the care recipient <laughs> or vice versa. I don't want that for lunch, you know, don't listen to my daughter. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Exactly. So these are all things that we always advise everyone to look for when they're considering hiring a direct care worker. Well, and what I love, again, about the the approach that you're taking, where you're really matchmaking to the sensitivities of everyone involved, you touched upon, you know, we talked on that panel in Washington, D.C. about the high turnover rates. And I know this is really disconcerting for a lot of families where you're working with an agency to bring someone into the home and it's a new face all the time. And it's, a you know, you have to get used to somebody new and that gets really difficult. And it's even more difficult if you have a loved one with dementia, for instance, at home, they're kind of getting used to someone. And then all of a sudden there's a brand new face. You really kind of, you've got better rates, I think, that you've been quoting in not having that high of a turnover because your care workers are more satisfied with the connections you're making. Tell us a little bit about the importance of that, because I think people skip over that fact when they're thinking about home care. Yeah, absolutely. So what we found is that at the crux of the high turnover is a workforce that really feels undervalued and they feel like there's a lack of respect for their profession, for them as individuals. And you see that manifest itself in low wages, poor working conditions, lack of training, lack of career mobility. So these are all of the things that are happening, which is causing the workforce to feel that way and leading to the retention issues, right? And so we're tackling this at CareFluent by being very thoughtful and leveraging two key strategies. The very first is we are actually really empowering our workforce with career development. Um, We make it very clear to them. We have created like tiered assignments. We are being very thoughtful about development opportunities as well as support as they're developing their technical skills. So mentorships, those sorts of things. And it's interesting to me to see how excited they are about the opportunity to mentor each other and how excited they are when some of the team members get promoted. So that's been working out really well. We have a very, we have a very sort of collegial collaborative group on our workforce. And then lastly, we've taken a completely differentiated approach to compensation. Our compensation model recognizes the skills, all of those cultural skills and attributes that are leveraged in our matching algorithm. We feel that those are marketable skills, right? Being bilingual, trilingual, they should be paid more for that. So we demonstrate our respect and commitment to them by paying them for those extra skills. And I love that because you really, again, you and I talked, we talked on the panel about this, is that a lot of the the acute care workers, the people in hospitals, the caregivers, you know, that we talk about in hospitals, get a lot of kudos. You know, they're seen as our heroes in our society, which is great. And it's very much well earned. But we can't overlook the heroism of the long-term care workers and the home care workers who are as much heroes as everyone else. And hopefully this is helping to give them that, that bolster of what the needs are. And I know every time I talk to a family who's had someone come into the home on a pretty consistent basis, that person really almost becomes like their family. And I think at first we might be resistant to having someone come in, but ultimately it really enhances you know, obviously our loved one's life. But one of the things I I found and I've heard, and I wanted you to touch on this is that 
Very often, the care workers can also identify things that the family caregiver may overlook or never see with their loved one. You know, tell me a little bit about that. So really, that collaboration that you were talking about, you almost want that person as your partner in caring for your loved one. That's right. We encourage family caregivers to view the professional direct care workers as a partnership, because to your point, they can often see things, those technical skills. They're honed in to look for sometimes the little details that family caregivers may overlook or miss because there's a lot going on when you're a family caregiver. Right. So sometimes we can all miss the details. And so by bringing in the professional assistance that can complement the family caregivers efforts and it's important to recognize that while all family members have the best of intentions, professional caregivers bring expertise, the training, and an objective perspective, which is oftentimes, I know we don't talk about this very much, but, you know, sometimes we we love our loved ones so much that we forget that objectivity when we're caring for them. And that family caregiver can bring that into the environment, um, as well as all of those other attributes that I mentioned, and really help to provide like a strong partnership, which ultimately leads to the best care for the care recipient. Well, and you know, it's I just recently saw a TV commercial for another agency, but I thought it was really fascinating because I think sometimes language and how we look at things counts, right? And the way that they put this commercial together is they had an older woman and her daughter and they were bringing in a home care worker. But instead of saying, okay, mom needs help with preparing meals and getting dressed and, you know, washing and bathing and all these kinds of things, it was the mom was saying, I have my personal chef. I have my own personal stylist. I have my spa assistant. I thought, love that because it's like taking all of those all of us watching really making it like I have finally achieved this you know later in life I get all of these things what are your thoughts about the language that we use and how we kind of present home care and caregiving I think it's very important. I think we have a tendency to associate the need for a caregiver with like a, a medical condition or, you know, some sort of chronic condition. Something must be going on medically. What we've learned is not to medicalize the situation. Sometimes people just need a little bit of extra help. Um, and that can come in the form of like companionship. Hey, I just want a gardening buddy a few hours a week. Or these types of things, having the professional caregiver come in can also help with reducing the sort of onset of social isolation and loneliness, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Which is so critical. It impacts so many things, including dementia, lots of chronic conditions. So I think when we jump to medicalizing, we miss that human aspect of it where we all need some socialization. We all need companionship. We can all benefit from that. And hey, I'd love to have someone to do my hair and to do all of those things, a personal assistant. So I think language is extremely, extremely important. Language also helps to inform the perspective of the care recipient. If we are using terms that are scary and medicalized, then it's going to cause anxiety for them and make them feel like their quality of life is diminishing. They're losing their independence. They're losing their sense of agency. So I think language is extremely important. And I love the words that they're using in that commercial. I know. Well, and I love what you just said. My mom loves to garden. You know, she it's a little bit more difficult now, you know, sitting on her her little uh, bench and things that she has and all that. But a gardening buddy. I love that. I think that so so looking at things that are more joyful, I guess, is, you know, and, and life and, and I love the fact that you touched upon the loneliness because you and I both know how important that is, particularly with our older population, to not have them at home alone. You know, they're better off having someone they could just have a conversation with or, you know, do whatever with, which is great. So in terms of our family caregivers, if they're thinking about getting, you know, a home care worker to come into the home, what is kind of the checklist? What are the things they should be thinking about or asking to get to get the right match and to do the right thing, find the right person. 
Yeah, I think they should be looking for questions that are specific to their needs and preferences. So there are the basic, like I call them, you know, the the sort of table stakes, right? The what services do you need? When do you need someone to come in? Very important. But at this point in the evolution of home care, we should be a little further along, right? You should see questions about um, your needs, your preferences as a family, your care recipients needs, their preferences. There should also be on that checklist a consideration of personality attributes. You know, um, that's really important because you want to make sure that the personalities are meshing really well. So I would say think through all of those things. And last but not least, really key, please make sure that on any checklist, you're considering the training of the caregiver who's coming into your home. Extremely, extremely important, but very often overlooked because I think a lot of people who are searching for home care, and by the way, my family, we we did this too. We totally forgot to ask about training. We took it for granted that everyone had the same training and that could not be further from the truth. The, the system is really broken when it comes to caregiver training, training requirements, the scope of different roles and different jobs across different agencies. So it's really, really important for anyone searching for. That is so important because I think you're right. I think most family members wouldn't even think about asking that question. And, and you know, because there isn't a standard, right, that you have to have a certain certification or you have to have a certain amount of hours in training, you're right. That training is so critical. I think the other thing too is um, I always advise family caregivers, you know, referrals are great. So if you've had a friend or somebody else that you know who's had a good experience, that's always great. Doesn't always mean though that your experience will be the same because it's going to be about that person to person connection. So that's why I love what you're doing because you're really thinking about person to person connection, you know, and also in addition to the training, I think the confidence and the and the security of having people who have a background check, you know, the insurance, the bonding, you know, I hear sometimes that people are going on to things like Craigslist or whatever to find someone. And that that always scares me you know, a little bit. I mean, tell us a little bit about why, why those things are so important. It's like you're going to put your loved one, you know, in, in this person's company. You want to make sure that you've got the best person available, right? That is spot on. And that's such a great point. Again, I think that's something that everyone takes for granted, right? We all assume because I think we're all wired to be optimists and to have who want the best and assume that everyone wants the best for us in kind, right? right? But it's really important because, unfortunately, there are many home care agencies and, oh, my gosh, the online platforms. Sometimes these are independent contractors oftentimes. So they are not direct employees of the platforms. And it's important for folks to understand that. So you kind of have to do your own due diligence and ask those questions, self-advocate, advocate for your loved one. And that includes being direct about asking about background checks, drug tests. Please ask about all of those things at Carefluent. We, those things are a fundamental part of our process, but we love it when people ask about that. I mean, we take it so far as we even, uh, we've partnered with a national agency to administer three assessments to make sure that our workforce, they have the right level of empathy, compassion, that they're really cut out for this type of work, as well as the technical skills and the cognitive abilities, those types of things. But all of this is really important. Searching for the right caregiver is critical and requires a lot of time and a lot of forethought and planning. And yes, don't ever think you're offending. If any agency is offended that you're asking about their background check and drug testing and training processes, immediately end the conversation. (laughs) Right. Get out now. Yes. Yes, exactly. Yeah. We also touched on something else. I just wanted to have you comment on you know, a lot of, of us are facing dementia. You 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 said your father, I think, had Lewy body dementia. And so people don't sometimes understand the need to have, again, a professional come into the home, even if it's in the early stages. And because the disease of you know, dementia diseases, so whether it's Alzheimer's or Lewy body or whatever, really has so many nuances to it important is it again to find the right person make sure and and you can get somebody to come into the home you don't have to automatically think about 
having a loved one go to a memory care facility. Can you tell us a little bit about how you address that with the dementia population? Yes. So this population, I love the fact that we are actively discussing this now because for so long it was taboo, right? We didn't have these conversations. And I think we thought, hey, whenever this starts to happen, we're going to institutionalize our loved ones. But now we're having these conversations and really providing an outlet for family caregivers to get resources that they need. And so when I'm thinking about this, I think about my own experience as as well as what's happening with the federal government right now, CMS just released the guide model. And that is entirely focused on care for those with dementia, including a significant focus on support for family caregivers. So I think now I'm seeing a concerted effort around this and some initiatives to support family caregivers. I think it's really important for family caregivers, and I wish my mom did this, so I'm I'm speaking from personal experience here. If you're listening, mom, I love you. This is all about you. But I think it's important for family caregivers to realize that the dementia journey is unpredictable, right? It's it's not at all something that anyone, there's no direct course. Not everyone, you know, this disease progresses the same way. And so it's really difficult to have a specific set of rules around caring for people with dementia. Because of that, if you are a family caregiver, respite care is extremely important. Important. Having support is extremely important. Um, and also recognizing very early on that this is unpredictable and, yeah. and there's really nothing that any of us can do at this point. So Well, and you're right. You know, in my personal experience, we had two family friends where the wives both had Alzheimer's. So the husbands were caring for them. And because they were of that older generation, they didn't tell family and friends for a long, long time. You could see the husband's health start to decline. You could see the stress and the sleepless nights and the worry and keeping them at home without really having that professional you know, help and that and that respite break, like you talked about. So it's really important from the earliest start to get the support that you need from home care workers and others, which is great. I'm just going to check and see if there's anything else that I haven't asked you. You mentioned the respite, the burnout that both professional caregivers can face, but also family caregivers is so important. Was there anything else that we didn't touch upon, Daphne, that you want to share with the audience today that's really important for them as they're considering maybe bringing home care in or figuring out how to care for their loved one in the best way possible? You know, honestly, I am very excited. Since we started on this journey two years ago at CareFluent, I have personally witnessed the industry revolutionizing and more and more people are receiving care in home than they are in facilities, right? So the site of care is shifting. And so now it's becoming more than just a convenience to stay at home. Home care is really having an impact on health outcomes and quality of life. And it's becoming key, in my opinion, to a more effective healthcare system where we're not necessarily sending everyone into institutions, into the ER all the time. So I'm excited to see that this is now part of the healthy aging process and societal support as more and more of us age into needing that. So I think that home care goes beyond just assistance. It's about dignity. It's about independence in many ways. We were talking about that earlier um, and comfort at home. And so we're excited to be part of this journey that's transforming our approach to elder care with a focus on home care, a focus on prevention and compassion. Yeah. And and as you said, you know, home care and the professionals that you can get to come into the home, they supplement what the family already provides to their loved one. They actually can help make you a better caregiver and give you some time back to focus maybe on different things, you know, and then the, and the professional caregiver is taking care of some of the other things that we're taking of your time. So anyway, you are a bright shining star in this world of home care. And I was just, I'm so grateful that we got a chance to meet and stay connected with each other, but thank you so much for what you're doing. And I think, I think your approach is just brilliant. And I think that's what we need. It's not, again, it's not just the same old, same old. You're really thinking through 
how to make this the best it can be for the the care receiver as well as the caregiver and the and the professional caregiver. So thank you, Daphne. Well, thank you for having me, Sherry. This is a topic on which I'm very passionate and we're happy to be a part of the solution. Wasn't that a great interview with Daphne? I just love her. I mean, from the moment we met, I knew she she's one of those people that you just want to embrace, right? I mean, she's a really savvy businesswoman, but she's also just a, a delightful human being as well. So I've really enjoyed getting to know her a little bit better. And I'm wishing her all the success with CareFluent because I think it's really brilliant. In Welcome Design News, we're going to go pretty fast because I took up a whole lot of time in caregiver wellness news with stuff. But I did want to share a few things with you. One of them is a little bit more of a validation, I guess, for me. So I came across two articles in the last couple of weeks. And one was in the Wall Street Journal and the other one was in the New York Times. And they were talking about how one of the biggest trends in home interior design right now is the snug. And, you know, you can read about the snug on my snug home blog on our website at caregivingclub.com. But what I loved is that I started the blog, The Snug Home, about four years ago. It was back in 2020, 2020, I think, during the pandemic. I know it was during the pandemic, but anyway. And it was really around this concept of the snug. And you'll read about the origin story of the snug from my perspective. But, you know, I've been doing some blogs and actually my third book. I know I just got the second book out and I'm already thinking about the third book. I'm outlining it right now, but it's going to be called The Snug Home, A Family Caregiver's Guide to Well-Home Design. Anyway, I just felt very validated because I've been talking about the snug home and snug home design now for four years and finally the New York Times Wall Street Journal are talking about it they didn't even view me what I'm like hey wait a minute but maybe one of these days maybe after the book comes out uh, we'll get into those articles but I just wanted to do a shout out because it's worth noting and maybe going and reading some of those blogs and you know I, I talk a lot about our environmental wellness in my Me Time Monday book and that is about our homes that is about in our offices, of course, but it's about our home environments. How well do they help us heal? Are they a sanctuary place? Or is there at least one little snug corner? Is there a snug place in your home that's just for you? It becomes that sense of almost cocooning and, you know, like wrapping yourself in a big hug. And that's really important, I think, for family caregivers to have that space to go to because it can be noisy. It can be chaotic. There can be a lot going on with your day and, you know, things don't always go well. You need that place where you can go kind of just cocoon yourself for a little bit and feel comfy and cozy and regenerate your energy and for what you need. So anyway, the snug home, big trend. You guys can read about it. Hopefully we'll be right on trend with that second or that third book when it comes out. Now let's go into a couple other things I wanted to share with you. It's really interesting. I want to kind of read to you what it's about, but there is, there was a teenage Girl Scout in Minnesota. Her name is Makina Provost. I hope I'm saying that right, Makina. And here's what she wrote. She was interviewed by her local paper and she was trying to come up with an idea for her silver badge for her Girl Scout uniform. And she said, my siblings are neurodivergent and I have a grandma who has Alzheimer's. And so I was just thinking, what would happen if my mom or dad got into a car accident and my siblings were left home alone and they wouldn't be able to take care of themselves Would someone know to go and check up on them? What a profound concept for a young girl who, you know, we know young girls are mostly thinking about themselves. She's not. She's thinking about her siblings and her, her grandma and her family. So she decided this was going to be her silver badge. She went to the local police department, talked to them, and they said, well, maybe there's something we could do on the driver's license. Maybe we could put like a little mark or something on it. And then they connected her with traffic safety. And this thing kind of mushroomed into her local representative thinking it was a great idea. Anyway, lo and behold, this teenage girl got a mark that will now be put on driver's license in Minnesota. And it passed legislation 
like wham, bam, there you go. And it's like, wow, we we need to get her on some of our other big issues going on in policy, right? I mean, what a wonderful congratulations and shout out to McKenna. So I thought that was really interesting because I do think it's important that, you know, we we have to recognize the the family caregivers who have these vital roles. And if something happens to them, then they've got, you know, we have to quickly get help for the people that they're caring for, right? So anyway, a, a shout out to McKenna for a really great idea. Something else that I came across that I just wanted to share with you is Habitat for Humanity. Um, obviously, a lot of us know about that, maybe even participated as a volunteer, building homes often in other countries for people. Well, they've now expanded their services of volunteerism, and they're doing something called Habitat Helpers. And so instead of building a whole home, what they're doing is they're going into existing, mostly older homes, and helping to do small home modifications for safety. This is mostly being focused on our older population, as well as our veterans population. And I just thought, again, great shout out to Habitat for Humanity for recognizing the need to have more help to make our homes safer if we're wanting to live there longer. We've got to make certain modifications. And um, it's designed for people who are basically, as I said, aging in place, which is the euphemism, the term that we use for people who want to stay in their homes as long as possible, um, or people who have disabilities and need other modifications made. Now, Rebuilding Together is another nonprofit organization that does something very similar and has been doing it for years and years. You can find those in about every community, and they also do small home modifications. They won't in and do major remodels, you know, knocking out walls and all the demo reno that we see on HGTV. But they they can come in. They can do ramps. They can widen doorways. They can maybe lower some counters or do some pull out drawers or whatever. You know, do some of the grab bars. And a lot of them are people who work in home building or construction or at Home Depot. And so they really are. You want to get the experts when you're doing some of this stuff because I've seen a lot of mishaps, particularly in the bathroom, people putting in grab bars that they think are grounded well. They're not. Those bars come right out of the wall. So there is a nuance to it. It isn't just like, oh, okay, go to hardware store, buy a bar, throw it up there. You've got to really know what you're doing and ground these things correctly and some of the other modifications, similar thing. You want somebody who really knows about universal design, which is also ADA, you know, the American Disabilities Act that's connected to universal design. Anyway, but a shout out to Habitat Habitat for Humanity for starting this Habitat Helpers program and also rebuilding together that you can connect with maybe if your loved one needs help and you don't know how to do it. And, you know, obviously, if they don't have a lot of money, you can get some volunteers to help you out with that. So that's our Well Home Design News. Now we're going to go to our Me Time Monday Wellness Act. And as I said, we're going to give you a technique called Heart Focused Breathing. This is great for obviously soothing your your stress response, getting you back to a sense of calm, but it's also really great for your heart. So here it is. Welcome to our Me Time Monday Wellness Hack. This episode, we focus on one of the best techniques for heart-focused breathing that helps heart health and calms your stress response. Three things all caregivers need. Heart-focused breathing is about directing your attention to the heart area and breathing a little more deeply than normal. One of the best-known heart-focused breathing techniques is the 478 method, favored by wellness experts such as Dr. Andrew Weil. As you breathe in, imagine you are doing so through your heart, and as you breathe out, imagine it is also through your heart. In the beginning, you can place your hand over your heart as you breathe, and that can help you in directing your focus to your heart. So you want to breathe in for four seconds, hold that breath for seven seconds, and then exhale for eight seconds. Try to repeat this breathing technique three times a day or in response to any stressful episode or encounter you may have. Now, we talk about the vagus nerve and the 478 breathing technique is one of the best ways to calm this vagus nerve. So what is the vagus nerve? Well, it is the longest nerve in the body. The vagus nerve runs from the brain down to the bottom of the spine and small intestines. 
And it's a key player in the parasympathetic nervous system to calm the body's stress response. Coherence is the state when the heart, mind, and emotions are in energetic alignment and cooperation, according to the Institute of Heart Math Research Director, Dr. Roland McCready. It is a positive emotional state we call psychophysiological coherence, otherwise known as calm. It brings the body's stress response back into balance, known as homeostasis. Changing how much you inhale affects more than just the amount of oxygen you get. When we breathe, that actually impacts how much blood is ejected from our hearts. So while regular breathing is a function we don't have to think about, we can control our breathing to change how the body reacts to various stressful stimuli. The reason the 478 breathing technique is best for heart-focused breathing is that by making the exhale longer than the inhale, it helps to activate the vagus nerve and bring on the parasympathetic nervous system, but it also slows down your heart rate and lowers your blood pressure. So great for stress and great for your heart. So when should you do this? Well, you can actually do the 478 breathing technique on a daily basis just to yourself have a sense of balance and calm for the day. Typically, what we want to do is use it as a response to whenever we're stressed, maybe for mental health help, if we're feeling anxious or depressed over something, uh, for pain relief like neck pain, shoulder pain or back pain, and also for as a sleep aid, particularly for people who are awakening several times during the night or have insomnia and struggle to get to sleep. Using this 478 breathing technique also gives you a sense of having more control over the chaos in your life. By focusing on your breathing, you are training your physical and emotional elements of wellness to bring these elements together and listen to you, something we all need in our lives to be heard. But provides you a sense of mastery and accomplishment that allows you to continue to meet the challenges in caregiving and in life. We hope you enjoyed this Me Time Monday Wellness Hack. Each episode of our Caregiving Club On Air podcast features a new Me Time Monday Wellness Hack, and you can find these and more in my new book, Me Time Monday, the weekly wellness plan to find balance and joy for a busy life. Or you can visit MeTimeMonday.com or CaregivingClub.com. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Caregiving Club on Air. Please hit the subscribe button to listen to us on our newest channels, Amazon Music, Sirius XM, iHeartRadio, Pandora, as well as Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts, and other listening channels. Check out all the resources and article links on our episode guide page at caregivingclub.com. Just hit the podcast tab, and you can email us with comments and questions at podcast at caregivingclub.com. Thank you again for listening. Take care and stay well.